Hi, I'm Tom, and I'm a Gen X grown-up, and I support Gen X grown-up on Patreon. And you should, too. Go to patreon.com slash grownup. Gen X Grown Up is a YouTube channel website and audio podcast you're listening to right now. All made for and by people who love exploring media, games, tech, and toys of yesterday and today through the eyes of Gen Xers who refuse to grow up. Your dinner cannot just be french fries. Basically, life sucks as a grown-up. Welcome back, Gen X Grown Up Podcast listener to this backtrack edition of the Gen X Grown Up Podcast. I am John. Joining me as always is George. Hey, how's it going, guys? And Mo is here. Hey, everybody. The backtrack is, as you probably know, the episode where we take a single nostalgic topic and dig in deep. This episode, we will celebrate four iconic Generation X science fiction films, which are this year celebrating their 40th anniversary. Includes a time-traveling aircraft carrier, an intergalactic football player, escaped Kryptonian convicts, and a wise old Muppet with telekinetic powers. (laughs) You might know what those are, but we're not going to tell you yet. Before we get into those, though, it's time to do what is my favorite part of the show, reading some fourth listener email. Uh, We a couple this episode. The first was uh, I don't know if I, I'll call it fourth listener, though not an email. Kyle hit us up on Facebook Messenger. No, oh, okay. uh, you know we're on Facebook. If you're not there checking us out, you should just go to facebook.com/slash genxgrownup. That's how all the interwebs work. But Kyle hit us up on Messenger in I don't know what episode it was for sure, but he said I totally just sang along to your big red transition commercial. Didn't realize oh, I still knew that jingle. <laughs> that is all. <laughs> Say goodbye a little longer. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, we run those little interstitials all the time and every once in a while we'll get an email that somebody goes oh my god i forgot about that toy or that commercial or that dandruff shampoo or whatever. right yeah <laughs> how can you forget about that dandruff shampoo you can't the second fourth listener this episode thank you kyle by the way thanks for mm-hmm. hitting us up on facebook you can always do that as well in addition to emailing us the second email is from john with an h our patreon supporter and john writes in the subject line of his email is gen x pop culture catchphrases so our backtrack from uh, oh, a few one episodes about ago the Dewey decimal system no 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 no. <laughs> Did I get that The wrong? other riveting one where we said dynamite was a great ah. catchphrase. Yeah. Well, it was, it was a little bit of a, we did like a game show a little bit. We quizzed sure. each other on some of those great catchphrases. So John writes in and says, dear Gen X grownups, Billy Crystal's character on SNL was Fernando Lamas. Ah. Right you are. That's right. Yep. <laughs> yep. Nice. Yep. We had talked about that because he says, you look marvelous. <laughs> uh, he says, I don't know if this makes me a dork or extremely cool, but I had the album Marvelous with the hit song, You <laughs> You look marvelous. You can decide. Hmm. <laughs> so let's go around. I'm going to say yes, that makes John a dork. How about you, George? Well, no. We, is a dork a bad thing or a good thing? I, I, I'm going to couch my answer. It's a thing. Well, you decide and then we'll get to that. In your eyes, does that make John a dork? He's an awesome dork. Does that okay. work? Sure. Mo? Uh, no, it doesn't make him a dork because I, I totally admire that he knew that. Well, I'm a dork also because I had that record. So I, I think that's fine, John. I do Claire makes you a dork and a dork is a good thing. So yeah, no problem. <laughs> says either way, great episode. Also, if John doesn't watch the Goonies soon, he may need his Gen X card revoked. Hey, I agree. I man. agree. Mm. 100%. Now it's, that's just a challenge. Like I have to. Goodness. <laughs> uh, he wraps up, of course, fourth listener forever. John with an H. Cool. Thank you, John. We always love it when the fourth listener takes time to write in. If you want your email head right here on the show, of course, you can use Facebook Messenger as Kyle did, or you can hit us up at podcast at genxgrownup.com. And you'll have your email read in a future episode. All right. I'm ready to get into some 40th anniversary science fiction right after this. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. 
Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. The popcorn can't be beat. The sparkling drinks are just dandy. The chocolate bars and the candy. So let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Gentlemen, you know that one of my favorite things to do is to consume media, specifically <sighs> Me <too. laughs> television and the big screen movies. And I got that bug very early on. My parents, one of the first films they ever took me to apparently was Jaws. I don't really remember it, but I was like three <laughs> years old or something. And It took a lot of therapy from the member that he saw that movie. Right. So. <laughs> I blocked it out. <laughs> I kind of grew up in the theater and I have loved films ever since. I generally watch one to two films every single day. I know wow. that's obsessive wow. and stupid. That's a lot. But that's also why I'm up till two o'clock in the morning. I pretend that I'm working on stuff, but generally I'm watching a movie. <laughs> My favorite film genre of all time has to be science fiction. Okay. I think it really came into its own during my generation. I know that there were sci-fi films very early on in cinema, you know, the little rocket into the moon face guy and different stuff sure. like that. But there's no question that when you start talking about films like Star Wars and Aliens and Blade Runner. The meaningful, like genre defining films. Like, that's yeah. when sci-fi really should have started getting Academy Awards. I agree. It took it another 30 years before it really started getting considered, but we wanted to take a look back at some of our earliest memories. So 40 years ago, four decades, 1980, Jeez. there are <laughs> just an explosion of sci-fi films. They started in like the mid seventies or the late seventies, but really 1980, that's when I start thinking back to some stuff. So all the films we're going to talk about here, they're all science fiction films and they're all celebrating their 40th anniversary this yes. year, right? Their 40th wow. anniversary this year. 1980, yeah. these sci-fi films. Wow. Okay. And the first one that we're going to talk about from 1980, which is a film that, oddly enough, I didn't see in the theaters. <laughs> okay. I right. had just watched it recently in preparation for this episode, is The Final Countdown. Now, this is one that I knew about, everybody talked about. Yeah. I just never got an opportunity to go see it during that year. Uh, so I know that Mo, I think yeah. you had seen this film, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. I think you suggested it. I actually saw this sucker in the theater. I mean, oh boy. its plot is a classic Shakespearean plot. You know, it's 1980 and it's an alternate history where a modern aircraft carrier gets sent back to Pearl Harbor just day before the attack by the Japanese. Okay. Right. So it's called The Final Countdown. The Final Countdown. So, you know, again, very believable, very classic story. <laughs> <laughs> It's, a, it's timeless, truly timeless. It's time, timeless, really. It's like Romeo, Juliet, Macbeth, Final Countdown. I think they're all in the same area there. No, actually, the only reason why I saw this movie, to be quite honest, is that we had seen every other movie that summer. <laughs> so this was like the last okay, thing. This was the only thing, because, you know, remember how it was back in the day? Like, you would just go to the theater sometimes, like, without a plan, right? And right. see what was showing next, right? And this was the only thing available at the multiplex, which for me, a multiplex was three movies. Sure, um, right. And, and so we saw it in this theater, and I swear, the screen was smaller than John's TV. <laughs> I think it had like 12 seats in the theater. I mean, it was like, wow. It was, it was tiny. I mean, the thing is, it had Kirk Douglas in it. Yeah. Right? Um, it had Martin Sheen in it. Martin Sheen. I know. And you know I mean, what's odd enough is that Kirk Douglas doesn't come off as a real big lead. It's Martin Sheen and then the guy who's playing the first officer. They came off yeah. as more, well, not the first officer. He's the CAG, I guess, the captain yeah. of the air group so but man what a great film i was really like i'm glad you put it on the list because i had never seen this one before it's 40 years old i still enjoyed it <laughs> 
Well, like you, George, I also didn't see it in the theater and actually hadn't seen it until it was on this list. And it's and like I, I had the movie in my library because I'm like, oh, it's classic science fiction. I'm sure I'll, I'll watch it. I probably ripped it from my DVD at some point, but I never actually watched it. And I knew kind of knew what it was about. What I learned going back watching a lot of the films we're talking about in this episode is how different the pacing of films were oh my God, 40 it? years oh, ago yeah. versus now in, in, in different ways. In a lot of them in this one, like I, I noted that it took 17 minutes before something happens, like actually happens. Yeah, it's sure. all like meet the people. They're on the boat and blah, blah, blah. And who's this well, Yeah, person? and they try to give you a, like a lesson about Pearl yeah. Harbor. They assume you don't know what Pearl Harbor is. So yeah. They fly you over like the Pearl Harbor <laughs> Memorial in Hawaii and they talk about it and like, oh, the USS Arizona was there. And it's all people getting to the aircraft carrier and who are these people? It took forever. Ever and it took forty minutes, four zero <laughs> minutes, before we got to the premise of the film, which was they're getting sucked through a time vortex. Yeah, for no reason. I did enjoy one thing that I thought. Okay, so there are lots of parts of the film that I enjoyed, but this is something that I'm like that doesn't feel realistic to human behavior to me. Okay, and that was the fact that once they decided that they had been transported back in time to 1941, uh-huh. everybody just accepted it. Yeah, it was like <laughs> just, yeah, okay, that's happened now what can oh, we do yeah, I, I hadn't thought of that that's true yeah. yeah it wasn't like people freaking out about never seeing their loved ones again or how are we ever going to get back to our time or anything it's like okay we're here now what are we going to do well we've got this modern aircraft carrier we can jump off and destroy the japanese and the one thing that i think this film sh- was trying to do it seemed to be a propaganda piece for the u.s navy Every shot that was in this film was like these grandiose planes taking off or landing and the ship making its maneuvers. It felt like it was a recruitment poster for the Navy and not necessarily in a bad way. Just that's what it was. Well, they got the cooperation of the Navy. I mean, they got to shoot. Those weren't effect shots. They were all on a carrier and in planes. And so you're going to use that stuff, you know, of course. (laughs) <laughs> I, can, I can see why that's the case. The thing that stands out is like they're back in time. And again, like the thing George, like they're so calm talking about it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And Martin <laughs> Sheen does this thing like, wow, this is interesting. If, if I come here, kill my grandfather before he ever met my grandmother, right. I would never be born. Then how can I come back and kill him? And then that's it. That's like the biggest, deepest part of the whole movie. That's is that- the only parallax explanation of what could happen. And then they just move on from that yeah they're like and nobody there's like no back to the future moment where there's a photo that's slowly being erased or anything no it's just this is what's going to happen the other thing that caught me unaware and i you know i'm not going to worry about spoilers it's 40 years old (laughs) (laughs) but there's a scene where the cag and this woman get stranded on an island before the ship goes back then the ship gets transported back to modern day they barely even seem to care the people on this ship like like oh we're back now let's start unloading ship they barely even registered that these (laughs) poor people were left 40 years in the past on a desert island with like some provisions what's going to happen to them and of course We've all well, seen as soon as they a got back films, we knew yeah. what was going to happen from yeah. the first scene with the creepy limo all the way to the very end. You're like, oh, OK, yeah. well, that's who that's going to be. They grew old there and that's where they became with their knowledge of the future. They became super rich and, yep. you know, all these things. And that's why they <laughs> sent Martin Sheen, because Martin Sheen was an integral part of them getting stranded on the island. And they pulled a biff with the sports almanac. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the most mature thing about about this film now throughout it yes it was enjoyable yes it was good actors but it really felt old yeah. whereas not all the films we're going to talk about feel as old as this one do to me but the most mature thing about it i felt was that they chose 
not to interfere. Like it would seem like the gung ho eighties thing to do is like go back in time, kill Hitler, stop the bombing, you know, all these things. But, but they didn't, they, they chose didn't, they didn't not choose to that. interfere. No, they chose no, they to do it. I watched, they were going to do it. The time portal just caught up to they them. They got sucked back into the future before uh, the present, before the they could do it. The only reason Kirk Douglas calls those planes back is because he doesn't want to leave them stranded. Because he don't want to leave them behind. He's already sent them off. Yeah, but they debated it. I, mean, I guess my point is, that, yes, they were going to do something about it. You're right. Even though it was going to impact history. But it wasn't like that. The, that was the instant choice. They debated like, well, what's the ramification? Should we do it? Because it they wasn't an instant. It. Yeah, I'll give you yeah. that. I, I liked that about it. And even though they didn't talk about the time travel garbage as much as you'd like with the go back and kill your grandfather thing, at least they talked about the ramifications of what it, you know, yeah, we stopped this. What else might go wrong if you don't but do that? Square jawed Kirk Douglas and puffy haired Martin Sheen, they're all about attacking <laughs> the Japanese. Trust me. Yeah, that's that true. That wasn't yeah, going to go okay. any other way. <laughs> it, it, except for the, the crazy time portal opened back up and they had to leave. Oh, well. Yeah, what a quinky dinky. <laughs> it's like- we talked about the music in the last Backtrack podcast with Danny Elfman. All the music was all the anchors away. My bo- I mean, oh, yeah. it was all very all part of that propaganda, <laughs> hyper propaganda, you know, all about nation building and we're America's the greatest. That's what the music was in every scene that it mattered. Like the planes are taking off. Here's the upbeat marching band kind of stuff. And, oh, there's the dirty Japanese and it's all this bombast. <laughs> right. <laughs> no honor. They're no. killing civilians. How could they? Right. I mean, this yeah. is one of those films that I can see people making fun of 40 years later. But what an enjoyable way to make fun of something. Sure. Yeah. It's still a decent film to watch, even though it feels pretty dated. Yes. Well, thanks for bringing this one to us, Mo. It's 40th anniversary, final countdown. Uh, But we're not done. After the break, we have a time traveling football player Mm. is up on the dock. Yes. (laughs) That's coming up next. On December the 6th, 1980, the nuclear carrier USS Nimitz disappeared in the Pacific and reappeared December 6, 1941, off the coast of Pearl Harbor. The final countdown is about to begin. Okay, so we just finished talking about a not-so-good movie. (laughs) Not the Shakespearean Academy Award-winning kind of film. Not the best, but still in the category of 40th anniversary sci-fi. All right. And I think this next one is probably also... I think this one actually is a cult classic, I would call it. Okay. Yes. I think it has become one, that. for sure. Yeah. And really enjoyable movie. So, George, which one are we talking about? Oh, there is no question that we're talking about. Flash Gordon, folks. I can't sing. That's Queen, you know, shit. Nobody can sing Queen, but Flash Gordon. I'm going to give you the brief synopsis real quick. John's already kind of hit it like three or four times, but a football player and his friends travel to the planet Mongo and find themselves fighting the tyranny of Ming the Merciless to save the Earth. Oh, this is a comic strip come to life. It is. So Flash Gordon was super popular in comic strips and newspapers, and then there was a hugely successful serial of Flash Gordon in the Saturday morning nickel and dime movies back when my parents used to try and go. Yeah. Yep. It was one of those, you know, like every week, you know, there'd be a cliffhanger, and then the next week Flash would miraculously get saved. It was right up there with the Rocketeer and Lone Ranger and stuff like that. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It it was so awesome. Great film. Sam Jones, Flash Gordon, blonde hair, you know, chiseled (laughs) figure and jaw. You got Max von Sydow as Ming the Merciless, who just...
John, I know you didn't really recognize him, right? No. Well, wait, I saw it, and I'm like, that guy sounds like Max von Sydow. Who is it? And I had to look it up. I'm like, oh, my God, it is Max von Sydow. Yep. He, he was so young, and he had just enough makeup where I didn't recognize him at first. And I can't tell you how many times. So Flash Gordon, again, disclaimer, I had not seen in its entirety as far as I knew. So I wow. watched it in its entirety. And I don't tell you how many times I've seen that image of Ming the Merciless oh, yeah. coming up the stairs and the red like hood uh-huh. and everything. Big I'm like robe. amazing. Yeah, never made the connection. It was Max von Sydow until I watched <laughs> the film. And it's got some other great people in it that you wouldn't recognize at all. I mean, Timothy Dalton, Timothy Dalton, Mr. James Bond, James is Bond Prince is Baron. Yeah, nobody would think about that, but he was really good in this film. The one that most people overlook though, because he played kind of a B part that only has maybe five lines in the film and maybe five minutes of screen time. Do you guys remember Rocky Horror Picture Show? Of course. Sure. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And you know the man who wrote the play in the movie, right? Yeah. Richard O'Brien? Yes, okay. yes. So Riff Raff from Rocky Horror, he plays one of Timothy Dalton's Arborian Warriors in Flash Gordon. Really? Really? Yeah, huh. he's the one that tricks Flash Gordon when Flash Gordon's in the little jail in the swamp down, you know, about to drown, and then they throw an Arborian in there, and the Arborian says, okay. I've yeah. got a key that I stole, let's you know, we'll get out of here. We'll go get some weapons up in the temple. And so he tricks Flash to go in into the temple. And that's what gets us into the whole stump creature thing between him and Pierce Brosnan, where they keep sticking their arms in the stump with the little, like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's like a scorpion <laughs> with a green blood <laughs> wait, bath wait, wait. thing. You, you just said Pierce Brosnan, which I think is hilarious because you're thinking James Timothy Bond. No, no, I'm I, knew, I, yeah. I knew what you meant. <laughs> Timothy, I'm getting them all confused wait, now because it's no, like 40 years fine. ago. That's fine. It is. It's 40 years ago. <laughs> you were talking about the stump monster with the poisonous yes. thing in there so i thought i had never seen this film but when they were playing russian roulette there's the scene where like they jam their arm down into some mm-hmm. hole of this stump and wait to see if they get bitten by the monster or not yep. and when i saw that i'm like holy crap i've seen this scene but i don't remember watching the whole movie so i can only guess this was a regular staple on hbo back in the 80s oh yeah and i stumbled yeah. across scenes of it a lot and just probably never watched it from beginning to end but i <laughs> definitely awesome. remembered that now i'm gonna let mo because <laughs> most kind of I, I give him like credit for being a musicologist like he knows more about music than i do Mo, yep. i want you to talk a little bit about the people who wrote the soundtrack for this film and what they did for the film oh i mean first off it was queen so right away well, a little known band perhaps you've heard of them <laughs> yeah they, they've done one or two things in their time you know <laughs> They wrote the entire soundtrack. I think it was their first one they've ever done because they did the other, the Highlander was another movie they did. Yeah. Yeah. Let me tell you, I mean, honestly, that was the only reason why I saw this movie. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, and I think the music fit perfectly because it was goofy. It was fun. Yes. It didn't yeah. take itself yep. seriously at all. <laughs> Even the music felt like a comic strip. Yeah, it did. It was Very that so. kind of thing. And the whole film was done that way. And in many ways, in watching this with the soundtrack that it had, it feels older. It feels like a 50 film with 80s special effects because it's that very much you said like the serialized kind of thing it had that feeling of that old style science fiction well, I expected to see the effects, rocket like, smashed into the movie. I don't know that I would even call them 80s special effects because when you start looking at films like Aliens yeah. or Alien even not like good 80s one, special effects right? I mean those yeah, Star Wars out of the water already. special effects Star Wars right it was out that for three years for this thing right yeah so yeah special effects were I would say awful but they were so wonderfully awful. 
so much green screen hanging yeah. from wires, just, goofy yeah, stuff. Like yeah. you couldn't really, but it's like you could see the fishing line holding the ship up as it would move through the canyon and Flash Gordon on a rocket cycle, and you know, <laughs> that's so so beautifully dumb. So know, dumb. Like, well, he's sitting there flying on the hovercraft thing. Yeah. What's that little <laughs> flip thing toy that you have, John? That you recently found in your closet? The little sands mixing around. Oh, my magic window from Whammo. Yeah. How yeah. many of the backgrounds in Flash Gordon look like they just took one of those things and then changed the colors yep. in it? Yep. Just a little color shift on a magic window sand. That's crazy. <laughs> Yeah, there were a lot of pieces in it that made me roll my eyes that felt like not modern science fiction. Like, for example, at the beginning, when the aliens in the ship come to Earth, and they're going to start causing chaos on Earth, they're like, what's the name of this planet? It's called Earth. And then on their screen, they have a button that says Earthquake. Right. (laughs) If you've just heard of Earth for the first time, how do you have a button that's labeled Earthquake? (laughs) That doesn't make any sense. That would be called, you know, a planet quake or something. Right. And then again, later, when Ming the Merciless is in a wedding ceremony, he's going to marry Flash's girlfriend, right? (laughs) And it's like, oh, well, certainly on this alien planet, they have this bizarre wedding ritual. Hand me the ring. With this ring, I be wed. Really? (laughs) Somehow evolved the exact same ceremony for weddings on Mongo? Right. And then they, but instead of it being like love and obey, it's like to do with her as you please until you're done with her. Yeah, right. (laughs) He certainly wrote his own vows. That's certainly. (laughs) So Flash Gordon is another one that I didn't watch all of it back then, but it seems like something that you said it's like a cult film now. Like unlike Final Countdown, people always watch this thing. Yeah, I've probably watched it at least twice a year, every year since it came out. I mean, I just love this film. I'm enamored with every part of it. The music, the sights, the sounds, the -the over-the-top acting. If anybody is unsure of what over-the-top acting is, take a look at the leader of the Hawk people. Oh, Oh, my God. God. Oh, my God. Flash Gordon on a rocket cycle? (laughs) Jesus, dude, take it down a notch, man. Come on. He was paid for how exciting he was. So I know. Oh, so ramped it up. All right. So I want to ask you guys a question. So okay. I kind of long time ago come up with this idea of doing annual different genre lookbacks and stuff like that. Yes. Of these two films that we've looked at so far, would you put one above the other? And if so, which one? Oh, hmm. Flash Gordon. Really? Okay. Over the Final Countdown? Uh, yeah, I, I, I think I enjoyed Final Countdown a little bit more. It was a little less tongue in cheek and I enjoyed watching it and for for its story and its historical context, more okay. than the candy colored world of Flash Gordon, for my taste. Fair enough. I mean, me, it's Flash Gordon all day, but oh, sure, of course, yeah. I was surprised by how much I did enjoy Final Countdown. So, from the world <laughs> of Flash Gordon and Mongo, we're going to go to uh, some escapees from the Phantom Zone <laughs> right after this Ooh. break. <laughs> the inhabitants refer to it as the planet Earth. I like to play with things a while before annihilation. Pathetic earthlings, who can save you now? This next film that is also celebrating its 40th anniversary this year in 2020 is one that I know oh so well. Oh, yeah. Not a great sequel, but a movie that I loved as a kid, and I can't help but love it, even though it's... I cannot wait to disagree with you. 
kind Please of a bad tell movie us now? what this film is. I am talking about Superman 2. Oh. Not Superman, Superman 2. Oh, that, was, that was a good one. I did, too. I well, loved this one. Yeah. Superman agrees to sacrifice his powers to start a relationship with Lois Lane, unaware that three Kryptonian criminals he inadvertently releases are conquering Earth. Mm. And they were just the campiest bizarre so villains. campy <laughs> and it was okay kneel before zod that is one of the best lines in cinema how dare you sir <laughs> It's, no, it's, how dare I? I love it. It's great. <laughs> now, I definitely have seen this one many, many times, but I rewatched it in preparation for this show. And what I had forgotten that is so different nowadays is it was a sequel. It was a part yeah. two. Mm-hmm. They spent the first 10 minutes during the credits doing a last time on Superman kind of. Yes. You could have not seen the first Superman at all and been fine here because they laid out everything about the first film, which was they don't do that anymore. That was weird. No, well, then. In, in large part that has to be due to the fact that both were filmed at the same time for the largest portion. I mean, I know they didn't finish it and there was some big controversy about the director and yes. this and the other, but those two being filmed at the same time makes that a little bit easier. Well, they were just taking scenes from the first one, but I, I just mean the structure of the fact that you would spend the first several minutes of your film showing you scenes from the first film, whereas they just don't do that anymore, I guess is the thing. Yeah, yes. true. I don't know that audiences would be patient enough these days for for something like that. that Well, that, that calls back to the pacing, which right. <laughs> is very present in this film, very 80s pacing. Yeah, I, remember, I mean, I remember Superman Superman 2, like the opening credits were just so long for those movies. Mm-hmm. They are. Well, they want to fly words yeah, at you. Like, every yeah. word was like, like oh, And they don't fly them in quickly either. Those no, words no, take no, a while to, to register on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> Something that really jumped out at me. And so this is a superhero film. I mean, it is. it laid the groundwork for what became superhero films. Quintessentially. And yeah. when they got to the big showdown <laughs> in the Fortress of Solitude. Well, what seems like the big showdown. Right. Because that, you know, there ends up being other fights later on, you know. Yes, but, but the entire big fight between the three Kryptonian criminals and Superman equates to basically Mork from Orc, like Nanu Nanu is just like pointing at each other <laughs> and, and fending off. Like, look at modern like superhero movies today. I mean, there is action. There's people beating sure. the crap out of stuff and cement is being crumbled. This was just people standing on a set, pointing lasers yeah. at one another and then pulling a switcheroo. Which at first I was like, where did the lasers come from? Like, yeah, right. where, where did that come from? And then apparently Superman can make like holograms of himself. I'm sure he's <laughs> jumping around from spot to spot. Where did that come from? Well, and, and not just holograms, Yourself. but holograms that turn into marble as they break apart or ice was it ice i thought it was ice actually but yeah it, it might have uh, been are these all <laughs> superman powers that were un- up until now didn't exist and I'll never exist after this they're been gone but <laughs> you know it didn't bother me in 1980 when i saw it it all seemed perfectly superhero-y yeah. it was fine <laughs> well i think that's what we're gonna find with most of these films at the time they yeah. felt good they were fun that's why their films were talking about 40 years later but do they necessarily stand the test of time I think these first three films might have a hard row with that. The last film we're going to talk about absolutely stands yeah, the sure. test of time. But I agree that this one missed the mark in a lot of ways. I attribute most of that to the interference from the studio. We all know, you know, Richard Donner was doing these films and then there was a bunch of stuff between him and the studio. And next thing you know, he's off the project. and yeah, doesn't he, he got a lot of micromanaging. Yeah. 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 So I think had they allowed Donner to finish what he was doing, I think this second film would have been even better 
than what it really was. And I still enjoyed it. I really oh, yeah. had potential because they introduced super villains. Now, if only yeah. they felt super villainous, everyone, well, you know, <laughs> they, the, the thing that got me most about this movie, I mean, also the first one, I just crack up at the Lex Luthor one-liners. Sure. Yeah. I, just, like, I thought he was just funny. I mean, he was like almost like a comic relief in this thing. That's funny. I did not like that they took the teeth out of Lex Luthor in this second film. He was a villain in the first one, world domination. In this one, he is a comic relief. He's kind of a clown. Yeah. He's trying to get back what he, he had, Australia. but they didn't feel Goofy. like they could support two major villains in one film. Now, we see that happening all the time. The Marvel Universe has of done course. such a wonderful job of A storylines and B storylines and making those merge together really well in a film. But back then... I just don't think that was something they were ready for. And you talk about the fight scenes not being dynamic compared to the ones today. I really, and I know this is probably not accurate, but I attribute most of that to Jason Bourne. Huh? Before Jason Bourne, I know, I know, I know. Just hear me out. Look at James Bond before Jason Bourne and look at James Bond after Jason Bourne. Okay. So fast cuts, more visceral. Fast cuts, the, more, yeah. you know, the martial arts, you know, but not like 70s. Not Kung Fu movie Kung martial, Fu arts. martial arts. Yeah. But like, in yeah, the counter Perry, yeah, feeling okay. martial arts. I see where you're going. Yeah, that kind of action stuff. I don't think started happening really in modern cinema until Jason Bourne. Maybe there was an earlier example of it. I just can't think of it. I think Jason Bourne, those films, you know, just smash you in the face with that kind of stuff. So this was obviously 25 years before that, and I just don't think anybody had thought that way about choreography in a Superman sci-fi film because for them, it's not about Superman punching and kicking. It's about you know laser eyes and flight. Yeah, and, and it's about what he represents. It yeah. was such a patriotic film too. I'd forgotten sure. that at the time. Oh yeah, he fixed the White House. It's super, yeah. Right. <laughs> well, he's looking lovingly at the flag and then he, he brings the top to the White House back and pledges his allegiance to the president, who by the way is played by E.G. Marshall. I yeah. totally forgot, <laughs> yes. which was amazing. The president right? was E.G. Marshall. Oh, and you mentioned, George, that we recorded the both of those kind of back to back at the same time, Superman 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was really, I again had forgotten this from seeing it before, at the end of Superman 2, it says coming soon Superman 3, right oh, in yeah, the ending credits. Talk about yeah, that they one. shouldn't have done that. They should not have done that. I know. Oh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the best thing about Superman 3 was that it set up the premise for Office Space. Yeah. That's the best thing I can say about <laughs> Superman 3. Pretty much. Uh, so I, I would love to do the same thing that George did at the end of the last one. So now we have some comparisons. So of these three, now we've looked at Final Countdown, Flash Gordon, Superman 2. We have one more to look at. Which of these holds up the best that you enjoy watching now today? Uh, I'd like to start with George. I know this is not going to be the popular opinion. It's still Flash Gordon over the other two for me. I could see that for you. Sure. I mean, I enjoy Superman 2, don't get me wrong. And I think I liked it on par with Final Countdown now, having finally watched it. But Flash Gordon, there's just such a love there. It's going to be hard for me to put anything above it from that year. How about you, Mo? What's your favorite of these three? Still, still Flash Gordon. Stands still up Flash you'd Gordon. like to watch today. Still, yeah, Flash, still Gordon. Flash Gordon. Then Superman 2, then Final Countdown. Yeah, I'm going to stick with Final Countdown, then Superman 2, then Flash Gordon. That's still... Wow, Flash Gordon last. Yeah, jeez. Well, just, I, I don't have the relationship with it that you do. Yeah. It's, it's a very different kind of film. That candy-coated science fiction is not quite for me. I like a little bit gritty. The good news is we have one more film to talk about, and it stars a puppet, which makes it really good. <laughs> and we'll talk about that, that right after That is not the takeaway from this film. <laughs> it totally is. It, had, it totally is. You'll yeah. see. <laughs> Superman 2. The adventure continues with the three villains from Krypton. Each one with the same powers as Superman. <laughs> Each one 
dedicated to violence against mankind. Think of it. Three supervillains. Or four if you count him twice. We have looked at some winners and some less than winners so sure. far in our look back at these 40th anniversary sci-fi films from 1980. And so we saved what probably arguably is the best for last to talk it's about here. So this is another is. film came out in 1980. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as of 1982, I had still not seen this film, never saw it in the oh, theater, but I was largely alone in my peer group. So what are we talking about, George? We are talking dun, about what dun, is arguably the dun, grand dun, poobah dun, 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 of the 1980 dun, film dun, set and that is Star Wars Episode Five: The Empire, Empire Strikes, Strikes Back. No, it's just nice. Star yep. Wars The Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> <laughs> After the Rebels are brutally overpowered by the Empire on the ice planet Hoth, Luke Skywalker begins Jedi training with Yoda, a puppet, Break yes, us. while puppet. his friends are pursued by Darth Vader and a bounty hunter named Boba Fett all over the galaxy. That's right. Whew. I don't even yeah. know where to start with this. Because I know. Right. There's just so many great things, not only in this film, but that this film spawned later on. I'll leave it to Mo to start. Well, let me start. Yeah, because I'm, I'm like chopping ahead, at the bit here. <laughs> do it. Do it. Do it. This one, I have like very strong memories of this movie because that was the, I spent half that summer with my cousin in Denver. He works at an usher in a theater that was playing this Oh, movie. you bastard. Oh, that's handy. And oh. he knew it. Brett, if you ever listening to this, he knew this. He could recite the entire movie start to end. And here's the part that really Jeez. got me. He met Carrie Fisher there. She what? came with her mom to see the movie. She came to the theater? Like a screening? No, no, oh, just to man. see it. Wait, her mom is Debbie Reynolds, right? Yeah, so actually they were there and they That's saw right. the movie, she said so. Huh. I didn't know Debbie Reynolds lived in either. either. That's or awesome. maybe they were vacationing there. I have no idea. <laughs> all I know is that he was pretty excited about it. But yeah, this movie, I mean, one is from Star Wars. All of us, I think, I was a huge Star Wars nerd you know, at the time. I saw the movie at yeah, the first time in the theater. Yeah. To wait for the sequel was like torture because everyone knew it was coming. We just didn't know when. It was supposed to take two years. It wound up taking three, which really pissed me off. <laughs> <laughs> and let me tell you, I mean, I think it delivered. I mean, the original Star Wars, I mean, they did the first one for $11 million. That's like chump change. And, and then they made 18 yeah, exactly. quadrillion and they said, right. we'll up yeah. the budget the for this sequel, one. They're like, okay, we give you more money. We'll give you 23 million, which still for the time was not a ton. Still nothing. Yeah, well, comparatively. In the first one, he didn't even do studio financing on it. He financed it all himself somehow, right? I don't remember, actually. Well, I think he had yeah, investors. investors. Yeah. I think he, yeah, but he didn't go through the studio. It was all about route. the back end yeah. and the merchandising. He, yeah. he was a genius that said, oh, I'm going to take the merchandising cut of it which ended yep. up being the biggest because if i remember slice. right that was the big thing like he shopped that script to every studio and every one of them turned him down yeah and then it turns out to be they saw flash gordon and knew what they yeah, exactly for. <laughs> <laughs> but i mean the thing though is like it took because star wars i mean you, everyone, you see the original star wars it really could have just been a single movie right the end the hero the, the, yeah great. And of course. He, he yeah made it like the sequel was like this is a sequel it felt like a really good sequel it felt like the story was continuing not just a good sequel this is one of those rare instances where i think the sequel may actually arguably be better, better than the original and the original was outstanding we said arguably mo we said arguably yeah it's okay he's like oh, let's argue great mo's old and he doesn't like to argue if it's his opinion there's no arguing it i'm gonna argue with him anyway i think of the two films this one was better than the original because lucas was able to do more with what he wanted to do the first film yeah i think it's just the opposite that budget I think really hurt him he was so constrained in that first one i think he really just focused on what he had to do. He had to really decide where to invest and where to... I, I, I see the argument, yeah. I mean, you got two different storylines 
lines in the second film. You really only have one storyline in the I first film. I think that's a negative, personally. More is not necessarily I, better. I do. I mean, I think the <laughs> second film showed that you had more story in that universe, and that's what drove them to create the entire Star Wars universe from that point forward. If you just have the first film, I don't think you get the whole universe that you well, have Well, he had the, he had all these plotted out. Oh, I yeah. Mean, he had the nine films. Yeah. yeah. We had heard about these, of course, but I was a bit dubious. I remember when Star Wars came out and we watched it and you heard rumors like, oh, there's going to be more movies and mm-hmm. it's this long story. Because well, it started with episode four. Well, but they didn't tell you that then. It was just Star Wars. They didn't say episode four. It did in the crawl. That didn't come till later. It did at the very beginning. It said, it said episode four. The crawl says episode four and New Hope. No, it didn't say New Hope. It just said yeah. episode four. In, in the beginning of the first it one? It says a New Hope. Well, the remake did. Oh, okay. All right. So we knew there were other films going to come or there was a promise right. of them. But do you really... That was a time when there wasn't a cinematic universe. That yeah, wasn't a true. thing. It wasn't a thing. Sequels had been around since the 30s, yeah. but to have connected movies with continuing stories that were good, that would was kind of unheard of. So actually for yeah. me, when Empire Strikes Back came out, I'm like, they're actually going to do what they said they were yeah. going to do. Well, for three movies, they yeah, did. Then, then they, they kind of gave yeah. up. But they did. So I, I remember being just happy that they were actually going to continue the story like you had heard. It almost was like schoolyard promises. Did you hear there's going to be nine movies yeah. all about Star Wars? You're like, yeah, sure. That's never happened before. But they were able to deliver. Yeah. The only thing you can compare it to back then was James Bond. That's the only thing that had a shared universe, had continuing storylines, even though you know went from one actor to another. That's the only thing that was even close. And most of our generation didn't identify with James Bond at that time. That's well, right. Also, James yeah. Bond was not there were each movie was its own story really it was his own kind of film to film yeah you could watch james bond movies out of sequence and you're fine star wars movies there's a thread you're following so that was still something that felt very new even if i'm sure pieces of it had been done before but it was the first time that it was realized to my eyes like hey they're gonna do it well and that's even a big thing today you look on the internet what order to watch the star wars films in i know right right? and now there's the question of what do you watch like the non solo where does that go and where do you watch the Rogue One. Where do you plug those in? And so that's why I want to say that Empire Strikes Back is better in my eyes than Star Wars because think about the things that we got out of it that it spawned into new things. Boba Fett turned into the Mandalorian, arguably one of the best Star Wars series going right now. You've got Sarlacc Pitch, you got Jabba the I mean, Hutt. I would agree with you if you were right, but... <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds to me, George, that what you're saying is, aside from the movie is great and it stands the test of time, but you almost are putting it that extra level because of the peripheral effect that it had yeah, on absolutely. Star Wars and cinema in general. It's a great film, but the fact that it did even more for film than itself, you're giving you it a bonus You wouldn't have points. Star Wars universe without Empire Strikes Back. But you wouldn't have Empire Strikes Back without Star Wars. Uh-huh. No, you could uh-huh. 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 <laughs> No, you absolutely could. You you could have started the storyline there and you could have the entire series. You don't have it without that downer ending, without the hand being cut off, without Luke falling down, without no. I'm not saying you had. I'm not saying it's not a cliffhanger. Movie. I'm just saying you Star have no Wars cliffhanger at the end of Star Wars. I know, but like you said, Star Wars could have been on its own and been done. Yeah, George with, wants to make a New Hope, the fourth prequel movie. That's what yeah. he'd like to do. <laughs> no, it's not that. It's way better. Uh, don't get me wrong. I love Star Wars. Oh, Star Wars is awesome. But there's no question in my mind that of those three films, Empire Strikes Back is the best one. Yeah. Well, mm. okay. You could be wrong. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Just me and 20 billion other people. You have a right to be wrong. That's fine. I I support you in that. Fourth listeners, let us know which of the Star Wars films. I'm sure no one has an opinion about that. We won't hear a word. It's just me and George. We're the only ones with opinions. Before we get out, it it might be kind of obvious. Let's take the four films we've talked about celebrating their 40th anniversary 
and uh, let's rate them. Put them in order. Let's start with you this time, Mo. Where do you uh, put? Them? I mean, come on, Star Wars. Empire Star Wars Empire. Got okay. the first one, and then I would say probably Flash Gordon, then Superman two, and then Final Countdown. Wow, I put it at the bottom. All right, George, how about you? Uh, yeah, I go Star Wars Empire Strikes Back first, Flash Gordon second, Final Countdown pretty much in third, with Superman two being last, maybe at the bottom. It's, it's yeah. kind of yeah, they're kind of tied, but I go with Final Countdown probably because I've only seen it once now. Okay, I'm probably right on par with you guys. I mean, Empire of these four films is by far the one that stood the test of time. It's the highest quality. Uh, it's great cinema history, everything about it. Uh, then Final Countdown, Superman 2, and Flash Gordon for me. Yeah, did stay pretty much the same. <laughs> okay, I'm sure, like I said, I'm sure our, our fourth listeners would have no opinion on this at all. <laughs> Stand by for the flood of emails. <laughs> Hopefully they'll Happy say to I'm get right. him. I'm just letting him talk himself out. It's like a, you know, rope-a-dope uh, Muhammad Ali. He's just going to talk himself out and I'm going to win. Keep swinging. Keep swinging. <laughs> and, and let me I'll come in and finish you off. Another <laughs> <laughs> thing about it. <laughs> Luke Skywalker and Han Solo rescued the princess, destroyed the Death Star, but their story didn't end there. Now, the creators of the biggest smash hit of all time bring you the next episode in the Star Wars saga, The Empire Strikes Back. The continuing story of our band of heroes, Luke Skywalker, Princess Leia, Han Solo, C-3PO, R2-D2, and Chewbacca. If there was anything in this show you'd like to learn more about, the show notes which accompany each episode are full of links to click and explore. Catch up on past episodes and get pinged every time a new one's released by subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. And you know, iTunes reviews help more than you know, so if you haven't yet, please rate and review us in the iTunes app. And if you have a friend who isn't yet listening, why not? Tell them about us, they'll thank you later. You're our fourth listener, and we'd love to read your emails right here on the show, so hit us up at podcast at genxgrownup.com. And finally, Gen X Grown Up is more than just this podcast. Our YouTube channel has hundreds of videos ready for you to enjoy, plus you can find our entire body of work on genxgrownup.com. Fourth listener, thank you for going along with us on this uh, <laughs> ride, reminiscing back on 40 40th years ago. anniversary of 1980 wow. science fiction films. Four decades of wow. history mm. of films. If there's a 1980, not 80s, but 1980 science fiction film that we didn't talk about that we should have, you should hit us up, podcast at genxgrownup.com, and let us know what we should have included. Before we leave the show, you know, I always like to take a moment here at the end to give our gratitude to the people who support us financially over on Patreon. A couple bucks out of their wallet every month helps keep the lights on here. And I'm calling you out. I'm talking about you guys. <gasps> Stu Monkey, Greg Z, Davis, Dana, Stian, Greg L, Levi, Tony, Thomas, Chewbacca, Slomo, Agile, Dan, Arlem, Gary, Jonathan H, Mike C, T2, Marcus, Mike R, Mark, Chad, Blasted, Stash it, Ben. <sighs> And Adam, I had to take a breath in the middle. I couldn't make it. <laughs> so many, uh, so grateful that I'm running out of breath here. It's really making a difference. You're helping Gen X Road Up to grow. If you would like to join this amazing roster of human beings, George, tell them how they can go about doing that. Oh, long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away <laughs> on the interwebs, you could go to patreon.com slash Gen X Grown Up, fire up your hyperspace drive, and donate a dollar a month, $3 a month, $5 a month, whatever you feel 
feel like. Mm -hmm. We are so super appreciative of it. There's all kinds of bonus things to go along with that. Extra behind the scenes kind of stuff. At certain levels, there's even merchandise that'll come your way. Check it out. Patreon.com slash Gen X Grown Up. I would ask you, George, what are the odds someone would sign up? But I don't want you to ever tell me the odds. (laughs) (laughs) 5,420 to 1. Never tell me. Never, never do that. Had a great time looking back on these 40th anniversary sci-fi films. We will be back in two weeks with another backtrack, but next week with a regular edition of our show. Until then, I'm John. George, thank you for being here. Yes, sir. Mo, you know I appreciate you. Always fun, man. Fourth listeners, though, we appreciate you most of all, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. See you guys. Take care, everybody. Gen X Grown Up is a member of the Evergreen Podcast family. Learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. We're also an affiliate of the Geeks Worldwide Radio Network. You can check them out at the GWW.com. I see dead people. It's just George. He's very oh. pale, but he's not dead. Okay, Fuck good. off. <laughs> what? Are nuts. you not pale? <laughs> just, insulting you. Just, you know you're pale. <laughs> he's just stating his factual. <laughs> Oh, it's a personality trait. It's not an insult. <laughs> is that what it is? <laughs> Which, you know, okay, hold very on. believable hold plot. On. Hold on. What's wrong? What's wrong? We should have let Mo do that. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, is that what you're about to do? To I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, shit. I'm sorry. That's no, okay. You should do that. My bad. No, no. I agree. That's what I set him up as it being his film. Oh, I'm, fuck me. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So okay. let me pitch to him right. again. Yeah. Pretend I didn't All do right. any of that. All right. Sorry. Go ahead. But this film right here, Sam Neill, <laughs> Max von Sydow. Wait, I mean, Sam Neill is in that? Yes. Sam Neill is Flash Gordon. Or not Sam Neill. Cr- sorry. Sam Jones. Shit. Oh, Sam, Sam Jones. Jones. Yeah, it's like Sam Neill. Okay. Jurassic sorry. Park guy? <laughs> Fucking Sam. No. So, so this came out in 80. So, all right. Did you have to all look right. that up? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I, I Motherfucker, it's the title of the podcast. Fuck you in five. <laughs> 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 Hit Pass Moto, sponsored by Moto America, is the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in motorcycle racing right to you. From candid interviews with the top names in racing to providing insights into the trends and trendsetters driving the motorcycle industry, we have you covered. New episodes are available every Thursday at pitpassmoto.com and on your favorite podcast app. Ride on!